Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. The Peter Schiff Show. After a long holiday weekend, the Dow Jones average fell 234 points. This Tuesday, finally, we have some type of negative reaction in the stock market to some of the bad news. Over the weekend, we got news that North Korea had successfully tested a hydrogen bomb. And now we know that Hurricane Irma, which is now a Category 5, is potentially one of the biggest, if not the biggest, hurricane ever uh, in the Caribbean. It looks like it's going to go right by Puerto Rico. For those of you who may be concerned about me, I am in Connecticut right now, uh, so my family and I are not on the island, uh, but we certainly have property there that I'm a bit concerned about, and I'm also concerned about anybody uh, who's living in Puerto Rico and has to live through this hurricane. It's not going to be a direct hit, most likely, although anything could happen. It's supposed to be over Puerto Rico, I think, Wednesday afternoon, but it's going to go, according to the path, it's going to go about 40 miles off the northern coast of Puerto Rico, which is enough to cause a massive storm in Puerto Rico. I know the winds uh, in the hurricane itself, I think, are 175, 180 miles an hour, but Puerto Rico is supposed to get winds of maybe 50, 60 miles an hour, which is still a lot of wind. Also, uh, the U.S. Virgin Islands are going to uh, suffer, I guess, a similar fate as Puerto Rico. But, of course, there are other Caribbean islands that are not going to be as fortunate in that the hurricane is actually going to go right over them. So they're going to have to deal with the full force of uh, the hurricane. But who knows where it's going to go after it goes up, you know, Hispaniola. There is a state of emergency in Miami, in the Keys, from probably Key West all the way up through Key Largo. Uh, Obviously, could be a lot of damage there. I don't know if Florida is supposed to take a direct hit or not, but somebody might take a direct kick. I mean, I don't know where this hurricane is going to go, I mean, obviously, if it if it swung north, it could go up the Atlantic and out to sea. But if you look at the chart, it could certainly make landfall somewhere in the United States. If it's not in Florida, it could end up somewhere on the Gulf Coast. Or maybe if it goes up north, it could hit uh, the U.S. mainland, just maybe in the Carolinas or Georgia, someplace like that. But if this thing makes landfall, even as a Category 4, right, which would be down from 5, it's still a massive hurricane lots of potential damage on the heels of all the damage that was done by Harvey. And, you know, now there's another one, Jose. I don't know if Jose is going to become a hurricane or not, but it's a tropical storm, and it's just a few days behind Irma. Uh, So a lot of action this season. And you know what? We're broke. This, The one in Houston, this is almost a $200 billion price tag to clean this up. Now, I don't know what Irma's going to be, because you know the government's going to have to bail out, A, Puerto Rico, 
and the uh, the U.S. Virgin Islands. I mean, there's no way that they can deny relief. I mean, they're American citizens. Now, there was a lot of opposition to a Puerto Rico bailout when it came to their debt, right? They had a lot of bonded debt, and so nobody really wanted to do that, and Wall Street was kind of making it out like, you know, they were bailing out the government or, you know, they, they kind of tied it to, like, the Wall Street bailouts to get the public against it. But no one is going to be against uh, giving money to Puerto Rico because of the hurricane. In fact, this could end up being a, a bonanza for Puerto Rico. They could end up getting a massive amount of aid, uh, you know, all disguised as hurricane aid. I mean, obviously, they're, they're talking now about power being out for four to six months in parts of the island because they have so underinvested in the infrastructure of the government-owned power company. Maybe they'll be able to get a bunch of money uh, in order to, you know, rebuild that infrastructure as part of the hurricane bailout money. So money they couldn't get because they were broke, because they went into debt, they may get the money now through another channel because they got hit by the hurricane. But so they're going to get a bunch of money. They're going to have to give money to the Virgin Islands. And then who knows what's going to happen in Florida or anyplace else. So what is this going to cost? Another $50 billion, $100 billion? I don't know, maybe more. I mean, we won't know until we actually see the price tag. But where is all this money going to come from? I mean, I think the Fed might have to do an entire new round of QE just to pay for the hurricane disaster relief. You know, and of course, the tax reforms, as I've been saying since the beginning, are looking more and more like just flat out tax cuts. And in fact, they're talking now about attaching the bill for aid for the hurricanes to the debt ceiling increase. So that sails through. So they increase the debt ceiling and they load up the debt with all this uh, disaster relief. They'll probably throw in some infrastructure spending for good measure. And then, of course, maybe we'll get the tax cuts, too. Again, not tax reform. Forget about that. You know, Donald Trump, I saw him on television. He was interviewed again today uh, talking about how we're going to simplify the tax code. There's nothing going to be simple about it. They're just going to cut taxes. But it was funny. He was claiming credit for having already made America great again. He said, we've made America great again. Look at the numbers. The numbers tell the story. Look at all the jobs we've created. What jobs? The job pay, the pace of the job growth is no different than it was under Obama. In fact, the funny thing is he's trying to claim credit for all the jobs that were created since his election, not since his inauguration, but even though that's the same number of jobs that would have been created if Hillary won. It's a continuation of the same weak trends that existed, yet he's saying, I've made America great again. The numbers tell the story. Look how great America is based on these numbers. These are the exact same numbers that he used to get elected by talking about what a disaster America was. Remember that one, uh, you know, campaign ad that I really liked that he ran, you know, that was like America's a wasteland and everything's been decimated. And it's, I thought it was a great ad that may have helped him win the election because of how, how dark it portrayed the state of America. None of that has changed. It's exactly the way it was. Yet all of a sudden, America is already great again. But anyway, let me backtrack to the markets, which is where I started. So I think the news of all the economic damage that is going to be done. And I think all this idea that, oh, this is going to be positive for the GNP. I think people start to realize it doesn't even matter if this boosts the GNP at some point because of all the money we have to spend replacing the stuff that we lost. It doesn't increase the standard of living. It's not good for the economy, even if it gooses the numbers, but it all has to be paid for. And in the meantime, it's very disruptive for economic activity. It disrupts air travel. 
it disrupts uh, the energy industry. A lot of industries are disrupted. And so in the short run, that ends up being a negative. And I think the Fed is looking at that. In fact, Lyle Brainerd, uh, Fed governor, probably the most dovish of the governors, was speaking this morning. And she said that the Fed is going to have to most likely slow down the pace of the rate hikes, uh, which is apparent anyway. But her excuse was because we don't have enough inflation, which, you know, they like to pretend that that's why they're going to slow down the rate hikes. But an absence of inflation is not the reason. In fact, all these hurricanes are going to help push commodity prices even higher. They're already going up. But of course, this is going to disrupt supply and it's also going to create additional demand because we're going to have to rebuild a lot of stuff. And that's going to require a lot of raw material, which is going to increase the demand. But this is not what's causing the inflation. The inflation is a, is a result of the government printing all this money. And, but the extra demand is simply going to put more upward pressure on prices that were already rising uh, prior to these hurricanes. But obviously, these hurricanes are another reason why the Fed is going to be less likely to raise rates. They are going to be disruptive to the economy. They are going to be a drag on the economy. And I think the stock market is finally starting to worry about how this might affect earnings. You know, the insurance companies really got clobbered today because, you know, of all the losses that people are anticipating that the insurance companies are going to be on the hook for as a result of this disaster. But, you know, the, the financials in general were very, very weak today. And it's about time. I've been saying that this whole rally in the financials uh, was a head fake and it was going to turn around. So they were leading the markets lower today. Very different story, though, in the gold market. Gold continues to move higher ever since breaking out above 1300 The price of gold now above 1340 So we've tacked out another 40 bucks. Remember, I initially thought that if we got above 1300 we might have an immediate surge of buying, but that hasn't happened yet. And to me, I still think that people are in denial. I don't think the shorts have covered yet. I think they're still holding and hoping. I don't think we've had the longs getting too excited about this breakout above 1300 It may need 1400 We may, may need to move up a whole new handle before we really get the big short covering and the big, uh, you know, buying into gold. I mean, 1350 I don't know if that's going to do it. But I think 1400 and I think we're going to go straight there. I mean, I think we're going to continue to climb this wall of worry as people think it's a false breakout. I think as we put more distance between the price of gold and 1300 I think you're going to start to see more and more realization that this breakout is real. And by the time we get above 1400 then I think we could really see the avalanche of new buying and the short covering that can propel the price of gold much higher. Gold stocks, again, had a nice day today. Not a spectacular day, but up 2-3%. There were individual stocks that I saw up 5 6 7%. Several of the smaller companies making new 52-week highs today. But again, these stocks still remain very, very inexpensive. So it still reflects a, a real absence of bullishness and an unwarranted level of caution out there among the investment community. All this, to me, is an extremely bullish sign. As is, you know, I've been talking about this as far as the indicators that I get from among my own clients. Because we continue to see a, a lack of interest uh, among Euro-Pacific Capital clients of adding to their accounts. You know, I think our sales are off about 70% from last year, which is the amount of inflows into my managed products and managed, uh, managed accounts are off about 70%, which is similar to the type of decline we've seen at Shift Gold. We have a 70 80% decline this year 
in demand for gold and silver from our retail clients relative to last year. Even though the price of gold is actually doing better this year than last year, and the price of gold is outperforming the U.S. stock market, we're just not getting a lot of investor interest in it. And in fact, this is only the second year that I've ever had a net outflow from our uh, managed accounts and, and, and funds, meaning that more money was pulled out than was put in. The only time we had net outflows was in 2015. And that was the absolute bottom of our strategy. Our, our, our accounts had been falling for several years in a row because of the strong dollar. We actually bottomed out at the end of 2015. And of course, in typical fashion, we did have a lot of investors who yanked their money out right at the bottom. And so they missed out on the rally in 2016 and they missed out on the rally in 2017. But this year, we're actually on track to have more net outflows than we had in 2015, uh, which is amazing considering the returns that we've racked up this year and last year. But investors still don't get it. You know, they still think all the problems have been solved. They still think Trump is going to make America great again, or they're still being distracted by the Dow Jones above 20,000, and they want to get back into the U.S. market, or they, you know, they, they, they really are overlooking the dramatic shift that has taken place uh, in the last year, year and a half. And more importantly, to understand that all the, the things that I've been forecasting that haven't happened yet, they're all going to happen. Maybe they're going to happen four or five years later uh, than a lot of people might have expected, myself included, but that doesn't change reality. In fact, it makes it worse because all the problems that I believed were going to produce a crisis a few years ago, all those problems are now bigger than they were back then. So the crisis that is going to result is going to be even bigger. You know, the dollar is still going to collapse. It's just going to collapse from a higher level. You know, the dollar was down today. The dollar index closed at the lowest. This is the lowest close for the year today. The dollar was down across the board. You know, a lot of currencies are making uh, a two-year highs. So look at the New Zealand dollar, which I think was the, the strongest currency of the ones that I watched today. It was at a new, I think, two-year high against the U.S. dollar. But it jumped up by... Uh, I don't know, like 1.5% on the day or something like that. I mean, a pretty big move, 1.5% in one day uh, by, by currency. So the, this is across-the-board dollar weakness. This is a huge bubble. I think the dollar is going to go much lower as a result of this hedge fake rally than it would have gone had it just gone straight down. That means all the people who have accounts with me who have money invested in foreign countries, the profits are going to be much bigger because of the trajectory, because we went down before we went up, I think we end up going up a lot more, which is better. We end up making even more money, and it gives people the opportunity to add to their accounts at more favorable exchange rates. You know, the opposite is going to happen with gold. Remember, I used to talk about gold 5,000 back in 2010, 2011, 2012. I thought gold was going to go to 5,000. Well, I still think it's going there, but now I think it's more likely to go to 10,000 because the problems got much bigger. So the problems that existed back in 2009, 2010 that led me to project gold to 5,000, those problems are now so much larger because gold didn't go up sooner, because the dollar didn't crash sooner. Now it looks more likely that it's 10,000 or maybe even higher because we haven't started correcting any of these problems. All of the problems have gotten much bigger. And just because it hasn't blown up didn't mean I was wrong. Just like I wasn't wrong when I was warning about the, 
the housing bubble or the dot-com bubble, all the warnings are early. But then when it happens, it's not because I'm a stop clock. It's just because sometimes it takes a longer period of time for the events to pan out because a lot of things can happen in the short run that you can't predict. You can predict the long run. You can understand economics and understand what's going to happen eventually, but you can't know all the things that might intervene in the interim that might delay the day of reckoning. But what a smart investor does is he uses that delay to increase his portfolio. I mean, personally, I will make a lot more money because of the delay, because I have much bigger positions now than I did five or six years ago. I have bigger positions in gold stocks. I, I will make a lot more money now because gold went way down before it went up. You know, I was able to buy back a lot of gold stocks in the last few years for the same price as I was paying, you know, in 2002, 2003, 2004. That was a great opportunity because I have a lot more money now than I had back then. So I'm able to build bigger positions, which means I now can make more money when my strategy pans out. Where I feel sorry is for the people who had accounts for several years and then gave up, right? They were here for the entire dollar bull market, but now they're missing the bus. Just as the air is coming out of that bubble, just as all the things that I've been warning about and forecasting are on the verge of coming true. Now, they haven't come true yet, but the writing is on the wall. You can see what's going on. You know, I, I put this article up on my Facebook page uh, over the weekend where China has just launched a crude oil contract that is traded in yuan that is backed by gold. You have so you have a gold backed crude oil contract to enable OPEC nations to be able to trade oil and bypass the U.S. dollar. I mean, this is a big news. I mean, we've been relying on this petrodollar as one of the reasons for the dollar's uh, strength. Meanwhile, you know, look at over the weekend because of um, uh, North Korea, we're threatening more sanctions on countries that deal with North Korea. The world doesn't want to deal with America just threatening sanctions all the time and trying to punish people uh, for using the dollar and for you know take you know accessing the, the dollar system and so a lot of countries want to get out of the dollar i mean look this is the stupidest thing we could do look we were going to lose the dollar the dollar was going to lose status as the reserve currency anyway but all we're doing is expediting its demise i mean talking about biting the hand that feeds you i've been saying this for years that all this stuff is going to blow up the government is stupid for trying to punish people who use the dollar because what they end up doing is saying, you know what, fine, we're not going to use the dollar anymore. And then it collapses. And now we got to pay for our imports with exports. Now we just can't write a check that nobody cashes. we got to actually produce something if we want to import something, right? We've got to have to export. We're going to, you know, and we can't do that with, with, the, with the economy that we have. Now we don't have the factories. We don't have the trained workers. We don't have the capital. We don't have the savings. So all of this is going on. I mean, look at the dollar, because a lot of people have been telling me over the years, oh, Peter, you know, I want to own dollars. And I've had this argument with Jimmy Rogers. I had this argument with Jim Rogers when we were at the Freedom Fest. We had a, a, a breakfast together. And Jim Rogers said, I own a bunch of dollars because I think we're going to have a crisis. And when we have a crisis, everybody's going to run to the dollar. And that's when I'm going to sell my dollars and I'm going to buy these other currencies. And my point to Jim was, no. They're not going to go to the dollar the next time there's a crisis. That's what they did the last time. Just because they did it in 08 doesn't mean they're going to do it again. And you know what? Look at what's happening now. People are worried about things, and what are they doing? They're buying the Swiss franc. 
They're buying gold. They're buying the Japanese yen. They are selling the dollar. The dollar is going down as political tension is going up, as global uncertainty is going up. So people are now running from the dollar. The dollar is not the safe haven currency anymore. Now, I don't know when Jimmy Rogers is going to figure this out. I hope he doesn't you know, take too much longer because I don't want to see uh, Rogers go down with the ship. So at some point, he needs to sell those dollars that he's been holding on to. But he's missed the high. Right. I think that the, the, the great selling opportunity uh, was at the beginning of the year. But look, anything beats going down with the ship. So I think the sooner he realizes that he's got this wrong, that we're not going to have this head fake rally in the dollar, that's going to be a gift horse selling opportunity. I mean, he's still hoping that gold's going to go below a thousand dollars an ounce so he can buy some. I would say to Jimmy Rogers, don't wait for a thousand. Just buy it right now. What's wrong with paying thirteen hundred and forty? I mean, we both agree it's going a lot higher. He thinks he can finesse this by waiting for the drop to below a thousand. What if it doesn't happen, right? And I think there's a good chance that it's not going to go below a thousand. I mean, it bottomed out at ten fifty right after uh, the Fed raised rates. That was the low. It's gone straight up since then, and I think it's going to kick into a whole new gear. As I said earlier, maybe by the time it breaks through fourteen hundred. Now, another thing too, I wanted to comment on about the hurricanes too is, you know, in Puerto Rico, they passed a law, anti-price gouging, right? You're not allowed to sell uh, prices. You know, you can't sell, you know, flashlights or generators or water or, or plywood. I mean, you, you, you can't raise prices to whatever they were before the hurricane, right? You got to sell the goods, you know, at the same price that you would if everything was normal. And the theory is that nobody should profit off the hurricane, right? You shouldn't be able to raise prices and profit off a hurricane, which is complete nonsense. This, this, all this stuff backfires. Look, yes, I know price gouging has a, a bad implication. You know, you're taking advantage of somebody. But look, supply and demand works for a reason, and we have to allow it, right? Because here's what happens. So let's say there is a hurricane, and all of a sudden there's a lot of demand for stuff and the price is allowed to shoot up. What happens? Well, when the price shoots up, several things happen. One thing is you get additional supply. People try to divert more supply to that market, right? All of a sudden, stuff starts coming in from other parts of the country, other parts of the world, because now there's a higher price in, let's say, Puerto Rico than there is in Florida, and so somebody, are gonna, they're going to try to ship things over there to take advantage of the higher price, which will mean there'll be an increase in supply which will ultimately bring down the price. But also, when prices go up, people will ration on their own, right? People will decide to buy only what they need, not stock up on things that they don't need, right? Because if you've got a store and they say, okay, you know, we can't raise the price uh, for batteries. Okay, someone's going to say, I'm just going to buy dozens of batteries. Well, I'm going to stock up because, you know, just in case. They're going to buy more than they might need. Now somebody else doesn't get any because somebody else bought so many of them. So now what? Now there's a black market. Now the guy that got there first, right, who bought all uh, the, the batteries, now he could, you know, if he wants, he could start selling them illegally on the black market because the actual merchant wasn't allowed uh, to mark them up, right? And so you end up having scarcity. Now maybe the stores can limit. Nobody can buy more than one pack of batteries. Nobody can buy more than two gallons of water. You start to have rationing that way, I would rather have rationing through the price mechanism. And that way people will buy the amount of water they think that they need uh, because the price will be a better determinant 
of how much each person buys. That that is a much fairer, better way than just you know imposing uh, these restrictions. And also, if merchants know that if there's a hurricane, they can charge more for certain things, they will stock up on on those things. You know, one of the things is for gasoline. You know, you can invest in very expensive tanks so that you can store a lot of gasoline. And some gas tanks might do that. In fact, some companies might have generators that, you know, so that they can pump gas during a time where the power is out. But those generators are very expensive. Now, let's say somebody says, well, I own this gas station. I'm going to invest in bigger tanks. I'm going to have a generator so that when the power goes out and there's a big disaster, I'm going to be the one gas station that has gas and I'll be able to charge a lot of extra, extra high price because I'm going to be the only one operating because I invested all this extra money in a generator and in bigger tanks. But if the law is, no, you can't charge any extra, you have to charge the same during that type of environment, then it's like, well, it's not worth the investment. If I can't charge more to help me recoup the cost of buying the generator and buying the bigger tanks, well, I'm not going to do it. And so as a result of all these laws against gouging, we end up having shortages, things are in short supply, we end up with black markets, and people end up paying even more for the things that they could have bought legally for less money if we didn't have all these anti-gouging. But again, all this is because of politics. And some politician can always say, oh, it's terrible that you know somebody should uh, be able to profit from, uh, from this disaster. Now, I remember, I don't know if I mentioned this story on a podcast before, but... Um, but I'll say it again because it's appropriate. I don't know if I remembered it, but it used to be a story that my dad told me and I'm not, you know, I can't even remember if it was true or not. Maybe somebody could look it up, but it, it had to do with a, a town, a medieval town or I forget what, but it was under siege, right? So it was totally surrounded and it was blockaded. And so, you know, you couldn't get things in and out. And so people started smuggling in food so that the people inside, you know, the castle walls, whatever, they, they could get food because it was, a, you know, it was very difficult to get it in because you were pretty much risking your life in order to bring the food in because, you know, you had armies that were trying to put a barricade. But, of course, the only reason that there was food was because the people who were risking their lives to smuggle it in were able to charge very, very high prices, right? But now, of course, right, they let's say the ruler in the castle or ever the king, oh, this is terrible, People shouldn't be gouging. People shouldn't be charging extra money for food and taking advantage of everybody in this time of crisis. So anybody caught, you know, selling food for high prices, you know, that's going to you're going to go to jail. Or you're going to be executed. This is horrible. Right. So let's make sure that nobody profits from people's hunger. Right. So the, but the minute they do that, well, now nobody wants to risk smuggling the food in the, into the castle walls because, they can't make any money. I mean, what, what, you know, what's the point of taking all that risk? And so then everybody starves or they have to surrender because all of a sudden there's no food, right? So I would rather let people profit by satisfying a need than to tell people, hey, you can't satisfy that need. We won't let you profit. You can only make the same amount of money that you would make under normal circumstances. Why? It's not normal circumstances. Demand is off the chart. There's not enough supply. We need to bring in more supply. How do you do that? You let the price go up. And by letting the price go up, people will then only buy what they need. They're not going to hoard it. People forget about the people who don't get anything because they didn't get to the store in time and other, other people bought everything out. 
because the prices were kept artificially low. So all this is political grandstanding. It's more politicians just trying to win votes by appealing to ignorance, economic ignorance of the voter. Now, of course, I got to get to Bitcoin. Again, the final thing, how can we go? We had a huge weekend in Bitcoin. As I speculated on my last podcast, the price of Bitcoin did get over $5,000. I think it was that Friday night or maybe even Saturday morning. But then by yesterday, the price was all the way back down to 4000 I mean, the low was like 4003 or 4004 uh, actually, 4,001.93 was the low on Bitstamp. And so obviously these different exchanges have different lows, but I'm looking over there. So pretty much we, we got above 5,000, and then within a day we fell 20%, almost an entire bear market overnight as the price of Bitcoin went all the way down to 4,000. 4, now, as I'm recording this, we're back up. We're almost back up to 4,500, so almost a 50% retracement of that move. Tremendous volatility. But of course, the Bitcoin community doesn't seem to care at all about this. They no big deal. They're not worried at all because they've seen a lot of declines. And yes, the last couple of times we've had major declines in the price of Bitcoin, it's come back. And maybe it's going to do it again this time. But then again, maybe it won't. And if it's not this time, eventually that's what's going to happen. Eventually it's going to collapse and it's going to keep on falling. And, you know, the Bitcoin fanatics, they'll never sell, right? Because if Bitcoin goes to 3,000, they're going to think it's going to come back. Goes to 2,000, goes to 1,000. They will never sell because they're convinced that it's going to go to the moon and that any pullback is a buying opportunity. But I tell you who will sell, the speculators, the people who just got in, who aren't like completely committed, who don't believe that this is going to revolutionize the world and, 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 and take down all the central banks, right? People who just bought it because they thought they could make money, people who just hopped on the Bitcoin or crypto freight train, when they lose half their money, they'll sell. They're not going to want to risk losing it all. Once the bloom is off the rose, a lot of people are going to sell. And you know what? They'll never buy again. Once they get burned and burned badly, all that, all that money is gone. You know, I was reading about this uh, new ICO that Paris Hilton is behind, which I thought is very funny, very uh, you know, it, these are the type of things that happen at tops of bubbles where she's using her social media status to pump up some ICO. And I was watching Brian Kelly on CNBC and he was being asked about it and he was explaining why it was so ridiculous and why this thing had no value. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's the same thing with Bitcoin. I mean, the only difference is Bitcoin was first and Bitcoin has, you know, a better name recognition and more people have bought them. But substantively, there's no real difference between any of these points. Now, of course, part of the problem that caused a big 20% uh, decline in Bitcoin. And it wasn't just Bitcoin. It was all the cryptos got clobbered was because China came out and they outlawed these ICOs. And now, you know, they're regulating them. In fact, they're going to force some of the companies that raised money through ICOs to give the money back to the people who bought the coins. But, you know, by the time this news came out, Bitcoin had already dropped by about 500 bucks. So it already had gone from 5,000 to 4,500. And then the China news came out and then it went now it dropped another 500, although I think it had snapped back. I think even though it hit 4,500, it might have gone back to about 4,600 or something, 4,600, 4,700. And then the China news came out and then it, you know, it had another leg down. So a lot of people were trying to blame the entire decline on the China news. But no, because the currencies, the cryptocurrencies started falling before 
the China news came out. Now, I don't know, maybe some people knew the news was coming and they were front running it. But to me, it might be creating, you know, a, a lot of complacency as if people are going to dismiss this uh, this sell off as not being a big deal. Now, we'll see. We'll see if we go on to make new highs above 5,000 or if 5,000 was the top. There's no way to know yet. But if 5,000 wasn't the top, we're going to make a top at some point. And then the market's going to come collapsing down. You know, one point I wanted to make about Bitcoin, because a lot of people are, you know, trying to, I guess, argue my point when I talking about Bitcoin and gold, when they say, look, gold isn't being used as money. People aren't pricing their products in gold. So all the things that you're saying are wrong with Bitcoin. I mean, you could make the same argument against gold and therefore gold must be a bubble or gold must be overpriced. Look, I know that gold is not being used as money today. It is not circulating as money. Uh, we're using fiat currencies instead. We're using these money substitutes. I understand that. But the big difference is gold was used as money for hundreds of years. Gold was used as money before we had fiat currency. So there is a long history of gold being money, right? So when people are storing gold because they're worried about a potential monetary crisis, they're worried about uh, inflation and, and too much money printing, and they think there could be a collapse in the fiat monetary system, then they believe, okay, we'll go back to the old monetary system. You know, when we went to the dollar system, when the world went on the dollar standard, it was because the U.S. dollar was convertible in gold. We convinced the world to go on the dollar standard when you could you take $35 and get an ounce of gold. That was the full faith and credit of the United States. If you had 35 of our notes, you had 35 Federal Reserve notes, you can come to the gold window whenever you wanted and get an ounce of gold. So gold was the very foundation of the dollar-based monetary system. We didn't go off that system until 1971. And so when people are holding gold like myself, it's because we believe that we will return to a gold-based global monetary system. When Richard Nixon took us off the gold standard in 1971, he said it was temporary. I believed him. It is temporary. We will go back to a gold standard. So when people are holding on to gold, it's because they believe that gold will be used as money again. Either it will be used to back the fiat currencies or it will be used directly in transactions. So that is why gold doesn't have to be used as money today for people who are worried about a crisis in the current monetary system to want to hold on to gold because gold was money in the past and we are betting that it will be money again. It is very different when it comes to Bitcoin. Bitcoin has never been money ever in the history of the world. And so if somebody is saying, oh, I'm worried about the euro, I'm worrying about the yen, so I'm going to hold uh, Bitcoin, you are just making a gamble that Bitcoin is going to become money at some point in the future, even though it's never been money before. That is a bet that I don't want to make. I see no reason to believe that the world is ever going to use Bitcoin as money the way it used gold as money in the past or the way it might use gold again as money in the future. Now, you know, if Bitcoin were the only cryptocurrency out there and there was no way to make another one, I mean, you might be able to make some kind of argument that, well, you know, maybe it would work. But even that, I don't think it would work. Even if it was the only cryptocurrency, I don't think it would work. But the fact that there's infinite um, numbers of other ones that could be created, you know, that that should destroy any argument that you would make that it would that it would be money. But it is very different. 
You can't just say, hey, because gold isn't being used as money and, you know, then Bitcoin doesn't have to be used as money and it can just be stored. You can just buy it in an ETF. You can just buy it in your IRA. You can just hold on to it and never spend it just the way people are holding gold. It is different. People are holding gold now because they might spend it in the future because there might be a monetary crisis. And if there is a monetary crisis because this system collapses, we go back to the old system. There has never been a monetary system based on cryptocurrencies. So somebody that's going to say, oh, the, the, the fiat system is going to collapse, the dollar is going to collapse, the euro is going to collapse, and then people are going to take a chance on Bitcoin, something that's never been tested, that you can't hold in your hand, that has no substance. People are going to watch all their wealth evaporate in dollars and euros, and then they're going to put their trust into something even less tangible, into a cryptocurrency. That makes no sense whatsoever. If people get burned by fiat currencies, they're going to go back to real money. They're going to go back to gold. Obviously, that is the choice that's going to be made. And in fact, I, I mentioned this too about the safe haven status. What is up over the weekend? Not Bitcoin, gold. Gold rose over the weekend. Gold is being bought as a safe haven. Right? The Swiss franc went up. The yen went up. Right? Bitcoin went down. Right? Bitcoin did not rise. Now, sometimes, yes, yeah, sometimes Bitcoin goes up when there's uh, some uncertainty, but it goes, sometimes it goes down. There's no correlation whatsoever. It is not a safe haven. It is the most speculative asset that you can find. And in fact, there are people that think it's correlated with gold. I see no indication. I watch the trading. I don't see, you know, Bitcoin is just as likely to go up when gold is down as down when gold is up. In fact, if anything, maybe they're inversely correlated because Bitcoin is trying to compete for the same market as gold. Bitcoin is trying to bite in to gold's market share. In fact, I hear this all the time. People saying what percentage of the market cap of gold should be taken by, by Bitcoin. And so in a way, when gold is going down, that kind of validates, oh, see, look, Bitcoin is better because, see, gold's not going up here. So And Bitcoin is. And if gold is rising, that might mean, oh, well, there's no reason to buy Bitcoin because, look, I can buy gold. Gold's going up. So if anything, maybe there's a negative correlation, although I don't know because I've never run the numbers. Maybe there's no correlation whatsoever. It marches to the beat of its own drum. And I think that drumbeat is a highly speculative asset. To me, it's like the NASDAQ or, you know, like a social media stock. It goes up because people are buying it and it's going to go down when people stop buying it and when people start selling it. And when people start selling it and there's no buyers, it's going to drop like a rock. It dropped 20% almost overnight. Now, can you imagine how fast this thing could go if there's ever an avalanche of selling? If all of a sudden a bunch of people really want out? I mean, how quickly could it go from 5,000 down to practically zero? I mean, if it go from 5,000 to 4,000, why can't it go to 3,000? Why can't it go to 2,000? It can, just because it didn't do it last time. And lots people are going to get conditioned, right? Buy the dip. Don't worry. Every time it goes down, it always comes back until the one time it doesn't. And then it keeps on falling. And the people who believe in it go down with the ship and they get completely wiped out.